the storm of violence podcast. You better get ready for the hottest, most high temperature dropping of wisdom upon your lap that you have ever come across. I have now turned 25 and I'm going to give the world an absolute gift of telling them the most important lessons that I think I have learned in this 25 years of existence. I have a long list and a lot to say, so I'm just going to get straight the fuck into it. So I have learned that the dairy industry impregnates cows against their will through artificial insemination, which means a man shoves his entire arm in their anus, holds her cervix open, and puts in the semen of a bull who's been jacked off by an electric dildo that has been inserted into his anus that forces him to ejaculate. And after that, the cow goes through a nine-month pregnancy, gives birth, and their baby is taken away, often within 24 hours of being born, sometimes immediately after. And if they are male, they are shot in the head or sent to veal, and if they are female, they are kept alone in solitary confinement away from their mother to grow up only to be raised to have the exact same fate as her mother. And at the end of all that, after about five or six years, the dairy cows, after being milked and depleted and having their babies stolen from them repeatedly over and over, become exhausted and collapse and become downers. And if that doesn't happen, they'll just be sent to slaughter, but either way, they're sent to slaughter. All dairy cows go to slaughter. I've learned that in the egg industry, eggs are all hatched, and if they are females, they grow up to be egg-laying hens, and if they are males, they go straight into a blender, a macerator, while they're alive, right after hatching, on their first day of life, straight into a blender. And if not a blender, they will be killed by either suffocation, sometimes just put in a trash bag, or CO2 gas, where they suffer for three minutes before dying. In order for humans to consume their menstrual cycles, the egg-laying hens are kept in sheds with thousands of birds where they cannot breathe, there's ammonia, they have about as much room as a license plate, and the industry will often starve them so that they go into shock, which makes them lay a lot of eggs, rapid egg production, and at the end of their miserable lives, they are all slaughtered. I have learned that animals murdered for meat go in unwillingly. They are terrified. They try to run away. They try to escape. Some of them do escape, only to be caught to sent to slaughter anyway. They have their throats slit, sometimes without being stunned first, because the bulk on that is supposed to stun them into unconsciousness often doesn't work. And if you're talking about other methods of slaughter, such as halal, they don't even try to make them unconscious, and they have their throat slit while fully conscious, then to be hung upside down to bleed out slowly. I have learned that in every animal agriculture industry, animals are masturbated. Yes, bestiality. They're either jacked off um, with turkeys. They even have a tube where a man has to suck through the tube to help get the sperm out after they masturbate the bird. Um, they masturbate the male animals, like I said before, 
by sticking sometimes a electric dildo in their anus that forces them to ejaculate and they put female animals into some sort of restraint which they literally in the dairy industry call a rape rack or with the case of sheep they spread them out and restrain all their legs so they're spread open and they force the semen inside of them. I have learned that fish feel pain and they don't want to die and just like we wouldn't stick a hook through a dog's mouth and drag them into the lake, it doesn't make it right to stick a hook in a fish's mouth and drag them out of the lake. I have learned that in the fishing industry they have bottom trawling where they get nets that go all the way to the bottom of the ocean and grab absolutely everything in their path including coral, dolphins, sea turtles, everything. I have learned that our oceans are either over depleted or fully depleted and that fish are really fucked. The whole ocean is fucked and this is gonna fuck up the planet. I have learned that animal agriculture is a huge cause to climate change and the single biggest thing we can do to fight climate change is go vegan as well as it being the single biggest thing we can do to reduce our water footprint. I have learned that fish can recognize each other and they can recognize human faces and that they are stabbed to death and bleed out on the decks of ships and they are suffocated. They are put into buckets of ice and m killed just as miserably as any other animal. And most importantly, I have learned that we don't need any of these animal products. We don't need meat. We don't need fish. We don't need dairy. We don't need eggs. We don't need any piece of an animal's flesh or secretion that comes out of a body of an animal to be healthy, to survive, or to thrive. And this is backed by the American Dietetic Association and all major dietetic associations all over the world. In fact, whole foods, plant-based diets are proven to help reverse and prevent all of our major causes of death, which are linked to eating animals heart disease, type 2 diabetes, cancers, the list just goes on and on, and eating meat causes pandemics. That's right, we wouldn't all have to be wearing masks and going through major global changes that have sometimes catastrophically ruined people's careers and lives and ways of making money and ability to see loved ones and connect with each other. That is all due to an unnecessary desire for the pleasure of an, a dead animal's flesh in your mouth. Think about that for a minute. I have learned that the coronavirus is a zoonotic disease, which means it was transferred from animals. It's thought to come from either a bat or a pangolin. Either way, it's from a meat market. And we have other diseases like bird flu, swine flu, Ebola, Mar, or sorry, MERS, SARS, the list just goes on, mad cow disease of illnesses, uh, viruses that are zoonotic that are from the exploitation of animals. So the biggest thing we can do to prevent pandemics is to stop packing thousands and billions of animals in tiny areas where they are covered in their own shit and pumping them with antibiotics, which also leads to a problem that's very threatening to all of humanity, which is antibiotic resistance. The more we give these animals antibiotics, the more the bacteria and the viruses and whatnot 
are resistant to them, which means they become like super bacteria. And that's, that's, we're going to be fucked. Like if we keep doing this, we're, we're going to be fucked. We already have been. We see it now with the current pandemic. I have learned that if given the chance, cows, chickens, turkeys, and even fish just want to be free and they'll show you love and animals are the most forgiving, way more forgiving than any human and they deserve better and they deserve the right to bodily autonomy and the right to not have cruelty and unnecessary violence committed upon them. Watch Earthling Ed on YouTube watch the Dominion Movement documentary or Earthlings or both. Um, They're both free on YouTube or at watchdominion.com. If you're still here and you've gotten through that part, I applaud you, especially if you are not yet vegan. I promise if you stick around, you won't regret it. So let's get into more of the wisdom that I've learned throughout my life. I'm actually going to now read a passage from the book Untamed by Glennon Doyle. So the quote begins, why do women find it honorable to dismiss ourselves? Why do we decide that denying our longing is the responsible thing to do? Why do we believe that what will thrill and fulfill us will hurt other people? Why do we mistrust ourselves so completely? Here's why because our culture was built upon the benefits from the control of women. The way power justifies controlling a group is by conditioning the masses to believe that the group cannot be trusted. So the campaign to convince us to mistrust women begins early and comes from everywhere. When we are little girls, our families, teachers, and peers insist that our loud voices of bold opinions and strong feelings are too much and unladylike. So we learn to not trust our personalities. Childhood stories promise us that girls who dare to leave the path or explore get attacked by big bad wolves and pricked by deadly spindles, so we learn not to trust our curiosity. The beauty industry convinces us that our thighs, frizz, skin, fingernails, lips, eyelashes, leg hair, and wrinkles are repulsive and must be covered and manipulated so we learn to not trust the bodies we live in. Diet culture promises us that controlling our appetite is the key to our worthiness, so we learn not to trust our own hunger. Politicians insist that our judgment about our bodies and futures cannot be trusted, so our own reproductive systems must be controlled by lawmakers we don't know and places we've never been. The legal system proves to us again and again that even our own memories and experiences will not be trusted. If 20 women come forward and say, he did it, and he says, no, I didn't, they will believe him while discounting and maligning us every damn time. And religion, sweet Jesus, the lesson of Adam and Eve, the first formative story I was told about God and a woman, was this. When a woman wants more, she defies God, betrays her partner, curses her family, and destroys the world. We weren't born distrusting and fearing ourselves. That was part of our taming. We were taught to believe that who we are in our natural state is bad and dangerous. They convinced us to be afraid of ourselves, so we do not honor our own bodies, curiosity, hunger, judgment, experience, or ambition. Instead, we lock away our true selves. Women who are best at this disappearing act earn the highest praise. She's so selfless. 
Can you imagine? The epitome of womanhood is to lose oneself completely. That is the end goal of every patriarchal culture. Because a very effective way to control women is to convince women to control themselves. I tried to control myself for so long. I spent 30 years covering and injecting my face with poisons and potions trying to fix my skin. Then I quit, and my skin was good. For 20 years, I was attached to a hairdryer and straightener trying to tame my curls. Then I quit, and my hair was good. I binged and purged and dieted for decades trying to control my body. When I quit, my body became what it was always meant to become, and it was good, too. I numbed myself with food and booze, trying to control my anger. When I quit, I learned that my anger never meant there was something wrong with me. It meant there was something wrong. Out there. Something I might have the power to change. I stopped being a quiet peacekeeper and started being a loud peacemaker. My anger was good. I had been deceived. The only thing that was ever wrong with me was my belief that there was something wrong with me. I quit spending my life trying to control myself and began to trust myself. We only control what we don't trust. We can either control ourselves or love ourselves, but we can't do both. Love is the opposite of control. Love demands trust. I love myself now. Self-love means that I have a relationship with myself built on trust and loyalty. I trust myself to have my own back, so my allegiance is to the voice within. I'll abandon everyone else's expectations of me before I'll abandon myself. I'll disappoint everyone else before I'll disappoint myself. I'll forsake all others before I'll forsake myself. Me and myself. We are death. We are till death do us part. What the world needs is more women who have quit fearing themselves and started trusting themselves. What the world needs is masses of women who are entirely out of control. End quote. Now, I'm just going to take a moment and just say, because it mentioned diet culture, I just want to interject here and just for my listeners, especially anyone who's new to my podcast or who is new to the concept of veganism, vegan is not a diet. Vegan is a stance against animal cruelty. Vegan does not mean you restrict food groups. It just means that instead of a chicken flesh who came from a tortured, abused animal, you have chicken that comes from plant foods like wheat and soy and things like that. You're not cutting out these food groups. You're just replacing them with the versions of themselves that don't cause torture, death, pain, suffering, and mass destruction. Um, moving onward. So another thing that I've learned in my 25-year existence is that there are opportunities slash signs to do something or change something about your life. And they come along and really you're supposed to take them, but you know, it's kind of neutral. It's not good or bad necessarily whether or not you take them. It's, it's really just neutral. Um, and if you don't take them for whatever reason, like, you know, limiting beliefs or listening to others instead of listening to yourself or whatever it may be, um, there are endless other signs. They, they keep coming, you know, so if you miss some signs, it's not the end of the world because another sign will come along. Um, but pay attention. 
follow your hunches and research your curiosities. It will save you time and allow you to start sooner on living your truth. I can think of so many times in my life where there was a sign or a nudge that would have if I had just googled something that was curious. Like, for example, the word vegan. I didn't even hear the word vegan until 2014. I had this college roommate who said, I'm vegan, but she ate meat and animal products and what she really meant was she was gluten-free. And I could have, like, literally googled the word vegan and, you know, found veganism potentially, but I didn't follow that hunch. Um, that's just a really simple example. Um, but if you're aware and if you pay attention and you follow curiosities, you can start living your truth a lot sooner. Another example is when I was 10 years old, I actually found slaughterhouse footage like on the laptop when I was home alone. And I just, I don't think I was old enough to really understand that I didn't need to eat animal products. Of course, like this was the year, like if I was 10, it was probably like 2006, maybe 2007. So of course, back then, it's not like I ever even knew a vegetarian, let alone a vegan. And it's not like anywhere in the world you have any messages that say, hey, you don't have to eat animal products. No, you're bombarded with everyone saying that you do. So I kind of took it as like, wow, this is sad and horrific, but it must, it's like, what can we do about it? We have to eat, right? Um, and so that was kind of a missed sign. Like, can you imagine if I had gone vegan at 10? Like, how badass that would be? Um, so, you know, unfortunate, but hey, that's why we have to learn to pay attention and follow curiosities. I remember thinking back then, like, PETA. PETA stands for People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. Why is that a bad thing? Why do people hate PETA? Why do people make fun of PETA? I don't know. I guess I must... I guess I hate them too because, you know, my dad does and people make fun of it and they say people eating tasty animals. I guess that's the right thing to do here, right? So, yeah. Even I was going against my natural compassion. And that's what so many of us do, especially women, just like that passage just said. But I will tell you about a sign I did follow. When I was working at a hair salon as a receptionist, just my life really not going anywhere, working full time. Um, the only like happy thing I had in my life really at that time was going to concerts. Um, I was quite lost, like recently out of an abusive relationship. Um, toying around with alcohol and things like that and just really not liking my job whatsoever. The managers and bosses were rude. It was like women gossiping. It was just a toxic environment. And one day I saw one of the hairstylists in the break room doing a drawing and she was really good at drawing. And she was drawing like a mountain and trees and she was drawing and then like her timer on her phone went off or something to go back to, I guess, I don't know, she's probably letting someone's hair process and now it was time to go back um, from her little break there. And she, she sighed and rolled her eyes and like reluctantly went back to work. And then after she left the room, I went over to the drawing and I was like, wow, that's so beautiful. And to me, I knew that that was a sign that I can't stay in this job and I need to follow like my truth, which is 
like a creative and artistic lifestyle and not to waste my time at jobs like this and at nine to fives in general because I saw that as my potential future because I was also thinking about becoming an esthetician because I was like, fuck, I just dropped out of school. I don't know what to do. Let me just pick something. Like at the time I was interested in makeup and skincare and bullshit. <laughs> I mean, not that that's bullshit, but like it wasn't my truth. And I just felt so pressured to pick something to appease others who were asking me, well, what are you going to do now that you dropped out of school? So that's an example of I did follow that sign. Now, I could have not followed that sign and still another sign would have come up, if that makes sense. So it's nothing to beat yourself up for. I mean, look back and get the wisdom, but, you know, I don't believe in having regrets and beating yourself up. Something huge that I have learned through reading, like, I don't know, 30 self-help books by this point in my life is that um, most of self-help has to do with hearing and following your inner knowing and ignoring the rest. Like, it's really, like, super simple. Like, that's kind of one of the underlying things that is in all of these books. As long as you don't get confused and believe that your inner knowing is telling you to kill and harm others. Disclaimer. The next thing I've learned is that life is supposed to get better and better each year, not worse and worse, okay? We have a choice about this. The next thing that I've learned is really just a quote that I've just realized is really fucking true, and it's a famous quote. You've heard it, I'm sure, but it is no measure of health to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society. And I actually don't know who this is or how to say his name, but that quote is by Jiddu Krishnamurti. We are in a society of overworked, overstressed, overtired, not truly happy and fulfilled, generally speaking, um, people who are focused on consumerism and numbing themselves with substances like alcohol and getting heart disease and cancers and type 2 diabetes and having horrible diets and not knowing that we shouldn't be eating animal products and neglecting our mental health and popping a pill and just not really dealing with anything and not really being fully alive. So I do not want to be well adjusted to that kind of society and I hope you don't either. Another quote is going to be the next thing that I have learned, and it is, The greatest thing you'll ever learn is just to love and be loved in return. Now, I first heard this quote on a Tesseract song. The song is called Dystopia, and it is by far my favorite Tesseract song, and I love it. But I don't think that that's where, well, I know that that's not where the original quote came from. I think the original quote came from American jazz singer Nat King Cole on a song that he released in 1948, so he was very woke. But um, I, I got into a relationship and fell in love like a year ago, right when the pandemic started in like March and April 2020, and this quote hits me now. Like, I understand this quote now because especially when you've been through any kind of abuse or, like, toxic relationships at all, it's it takes so much learning and unlearning to really 
just let yourself love and let yourself be loved. I, I don't know if I can really put it into words, but I've been living this the past year. It's been very eye-opening and very, like, just dragging all of my deepest shadows out into the light and opening me up in a way that I've never been opened up before. I've realized the lengths that we go through, even to self-sabotage, like, perfectly good and healthy love, um, it's, it's sad. And it's so sad how afraid our society is to be vulnerable and to truly be seen by another and to see others. It's crazy. We create so many barriers between ourselves and others. The next thing I've learned is that only good things can come of being on your phone and on social media less. Um, We don't need these things. They make us more unhappy, not happier. You know, studies and research show this. They're simply an addiction and nobody regrets like quitting social media and phone addictions. They just don't. Read the book How to Break Up with Your Phone by Katherine Price. You will free so much time. You will not spend your valuable time and energy on nonsense like Facebook comment wars and you will truly live and you will start to do the things that you always say you want to do. You know, those hobbies, those artistic pursuits, whatever it may be. A lot of the times, the only thing getting in the way of that, you know, that or connecting with others or whatever your life's like truest intentions may be is literally just wasting time on your phone or being addicted to your screen. Do you know how many years I've spent trying to figure out how do I motivate myself to do music? How do I motivate myself to do art? And throughout all of these years, I've just been like mindlessly letting myself be on my phone with with no boundaries. Like when I wake up to when I go to bed, any chance I get taking the phone to the bathroom, like, you know, the story, if you have a phone, you're probably just as addicted or almost as addicted as me or anyone else. And then now that I've just started like doing one no phone, no no technology, no movies, no music, no podcast day a week and and setting other boundaries like for example only watching YouTube 3 days a week, I've just realized like holy shit, like it's just that my attention span was so fucked up from being on these highly addictive devices. And also buying into the general lie of multitasking. Multitasking is a lie. I'll get to that later. But if you just get rid of that, the creativity comes back because you get bored and out of boredom comes creativity. And you just free up so much time. Like the amount of time we spend stuck to these screens is disgusting. The next thing that I learned in my lifetime so far is that thoughts are just like dreams. They're random ass pictures and nonsensical shit your subconscious has picked up and morphed together. Don't make them more than that. Many of them are also regurgitations of societal beliefs. They're kind of like pop-up ads. Some of them are even your subconscious trying to digest things. So when you have a fantasy pop-up of punching someone in the face, don't worry that you are, like, a violent person. Just like if you killed someone in in a dream, you wouldn't worry that you were a killer, right? Um, You know, also apply this rationality to negative thoughts about yourself. I mean, think about it. 
your thoughts are just literally the same thing as your dreams. Your dreams are like you going to bed and, you know, your your inner voice or whatever not controlling or judging your thoughts so your thoughts just go wild and they go wild in more of like a cinematic way. That's all dreams are. At least that's my understanding of it and that's the conclusion I've come to about thoughts because my god sometimes I'm just sitting there minding my own business and I get the most catastrophic movie all of a sudden in my head about like my loved one getting into a horrific event and my life spiraling out of control and I'm like wow was that necessary like geez and then I have to just move on with my life and be like that was dumb <laughs> just like if you woke up from a weird ass dream and you were like what the fuck well I'm glad that's not true and then you just like move on with your day that's kind of what you have to do with thoughts and this is coming from a person who has struggled so much with depression, 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 anxiety, horrible thoughts about myself, horrible thoughts in general. And I found a lot of peace through this realization. And to kind of go off of that, the next thing I've learned is don't worry, your thoughts don't create your reality. I mean, think about how fucked we would be if our thoughts created our reality. Um, your beliefs, however, do create your reality. And unlike your thoughts, you have control over your beliefs. Your beliefs kind of come from your subconscious mind. They come from shit you've picked up on from our profoundly sick society, from other people, things people have said, whatever, just who knows what, conditioning, religion. Um, but you can reprogram your brain and there is science to back this. Just look into it. Like daily positive affirmations can reprogram your brain. Meditation, especially daily, can reprogram your brain. There's so many ways to reprogram your brain. You can change your brain chemistry. It's really like there's no limit to what you can do as far as changing your life through changing your brain. Um, and there's plenty of resources out there on the internet at this point that I wish I had found when I was like a little kid even. I'm a big user and participator in the law of attraction, but there are, you know, such as the secret, there are very like superficial surface level understandings of it that are like, uh, believe that you will win the lottery and you will win the lottery. Like that's, you know... <laughs> always question something that's like so uh just surface level and materialistic and ego-ish like that um it it's not like your thoughts create your reality like I said it is your beliefs you could think about like the most horrible thing but if you don't believe it then it's not like it's gonna hurt you in any way we all have limiting beliefs that we have to change. Like, you could have a limiting belief that you're not good enough to do blah, blah, blah thing. And it could come from anything. It, be it could come from something your grandpa said to you when you were eight years old. And you just gotta revisit it and cross it out and write in the truth. Uh, the next thing that I have learned is that awareness, acceptance, and valuing truth over lies can help you get through anything. An uncomfortable truth is going to set you free and that's always going to be better than an uncomfortable lie that's going to keep you caged in.
It's just like the whole idea that a true friend will tell you the truth. Like, say you're in a really bad relationship and you have all these surface level acquaintance type friends and they're like, oh, stay with him. You know, he's got a good job or whatever. But a true friend will be like, listen, you're being abused and you need to leave this guy and you deserve better. And it might be uncomfortable. It might be an awkward confrontation. That friend might at first get really mad and not want to talk to the friend, but ultimately that is a much bigger gift to give than to just be like, oh, stay with him. He's got a good job. I had this teacher in one of my AP English classes when I went to high school, one of the only teachers that I thought was worthwhile and worth remembering. Um, uh, his name was DeStefano, Mr. DeStefano. Um, and he said, he, he really, like, taught us about living life and about, like, what truly matters in life. And he's, like, the only teacher I ever had that actually did that. And as a result, obviously, everyone loved this guy. Um, and he was fantastic. Um, but one of the things I remember, like, I remember his teachings more than anyone else. Like, let's face it, I'm, re I'm reading Tuesdays with Maury right now. And the Maury guy who's dying was a teacher and all he taught about really was like life and stuff. And that's just so much more, this is a side rant, but teaching about life and relationships and real shit is always going to be so much more important than teaching the fucking equation to a math problem or whatever the fuck. Unless you happen to love math, in which case can't relate, but... I'm glad you exist, because someone's got to love math. But anyway, one of the questions I remember him asking the class was, when you get to your deathbed, would you rather um, be told, like, would you rather keep living a comfortable lie or be told an uncomfortable truth or something along those lines? Um, and the whole class agreed, like, you know, yes, we'd rather be told the truth, even if the truth is uncomfortable. And that has always stuck with me. And I think that we should all value truth over comfort. And truth actually does bring you true comfort. Untruth can only bring you fake service level comfort. The next thing I learned is that letting people go is a superpower. It's really difficult, but really necessary. Sometimes there's people in your life, and sometimes they're blood relatives or close friends that you have to let go of that relationship because maybe it's toxic, maybe the person is abusive, maybe they're killing your soul and you just have to walk away, um, or maybe you have someone in your life that you wish like would show you the love that you deserve and that you need from them and they just for whatever reason are not capable of doing that and the ability to let them go and not live like wishing for them and wanting for them and to just be like ah you know I'm happy either way like I'm either gonna live a happy ass life without them or I'm going to live a happy-ass life and they'll get their shit together and they'll, they'll come back and they'll apologize and, you know, we can be cool. And either way, I'm happy either way. Like, Aaron Dowdy teaches this all the time. You have to be, like, detached from the outcome and you have to be good either way. Like, you know, take it if you're in the dating world and you really, really, really like this person. Aaron Dowdy teaches this all the time. 
if you're really clingy and really attached, you're probably going to create a repelling energy first of all. But if you're just like, ah, I'm cool either way. Maybe I'll date that person, maybe not. And if not, then someone bitter is going to come along. Well, you kind of have to have that attitude. Otherwise, you're always going to be in a state of wanting. And a state of wanting and a state of having are not compatible. And it's lack mentality. Go follow Aaron Dowdy for more on that concept. Another concept I learned from Aaron Dowdy while we're on this topic that really has helped me is the concept that when you have like a traumatic relationship with someone, say for his life and his example, he always talks about he had an abusive stepmom and he says, then I went to this job and, and had an abusive boss that reflected like the exact personality of the abusive stepmom. But then when I let go of the abusive stepmom, the boss who we'd been trying to get fired finally got fired. And it's like, this is so true when you haven't learned your lessons that you've needed to learn and or let go of a person that was toxic in your life. You will continue to meet people who are basically that same person, just in a different body. And if anything is more true than this with my life experience... I don't fucking know what is. And the the day that I just said, you know, enough and I I learned the signs of abusive people and I just like got my shit together and was like, okay, I'm not going to accept this anymore and as soon as I see the signs, I'm going to drop them and cut them out. I had to cut out a few friends like early on and and then I just stopped meeting people like that. It's like Whatever is out there understood that I had learned the lesson and that I had figured it out and they're like, okay, we don't need to send these people here to force her to learn this lesson anymore or she's let go of this dynamic so she can just only meet good people who respect her genuinely and who are capable of love now. She's not going to meet any more of these like abusive or user type people. It's really incredible. The next thing I have learned is about self-compassion. And I read a book called Self-Compassion by Kristen Neff. And that one definitely changed my life as well. And it just talked about how self-esteem is overrated and how, you know, this culture of self-esteem and stuff we only allow ourselves to feel high self-esteem if we are special and we stand out of the crowd and we're better than others and it's based on competition and I'll get to these ideas later but basically like that's all overrated throw that out and replace it instead with self-compassion and self-compassion means like hey I'm going through something really difficult right now and I'm gonna comfort myself maybe give myself a hug I'm gonna be gentle and kind to myself um, and, and then, you know, of course, compassion toward others, um, being happy for others rather than envious or jealous of them. And yeah, please just go read that book, Self-Compassion by Kristen Neff. You know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to come to this conclusion or to understand this, but people who are self-compassionate and kind to themselves have astronomically more happiness and success in all areas of their life than people who beat themselves up and trash talk themselves and all of that thing. Now, I kind of alluded to this a bit earlier, but the next thing I learned and have come to conclude 
through my 25 years of living is that in school we should be teaching meditation and we should be reading slash teaching self-help content as early and as often as possible. And this should include teaching people about healthy relationships. You know, what are the signs of healthy relationships? How do you genuinely listen to and respect others? And what are the signs of toxic or abusive relationships? Because, you know, in my life experience, I was in an abusive relationship for years, literally without knowing that it was abusive because I was just being treated the way I was used to being treated. Um, And we should be teaching about happiness and emotional and mental health and being clear on your values. We should be teaching non-discrimination. We should be teaching non-violence and being true to yourself and all of this stuff. Yes, we have to learn some history, some math, some science. Like, obviously, these things are important, but they're extremely overvalued in this patriarchal society that values logic over everything else. And, and we just need more balance. We need more understanding of, like, emotional intelligence and things that really matter in life. Because at the end of the day this kind of stuff is what really matters and this kind of stuff is what you look back on on your deathbed. The next thing I've learned is that our parent relationships completely affect our lives and our future relationships and we will play out those traumas and cycles if we don't interrupt them with mindfulness and awareness. You know, just as an example from my own life, like, Uh, My dad has, like, a badgering problem and yelling and stuff, and I've realized recently that I didn't even realize it, but I was doing this too, and I was, um, you know, basically interrogating people, and I would just, you know, ask a bunch of questions and almost do it in a way where I get false confessions out of people, and... Of course, I was never anywhere near as bad as my dad, which is probably why I didn't notice I was doing it. But this is just one of the many examples of like, you know, apply awareness, be mindful, say, oh shit, I'm doing this thing that my parent did and stop the cycle and replace it with a positive thing to do moving forward. Um, Or another example from my own life is just choosing men who are... (laughs) to treat me awful for romantic relationships and just realizing, shit, I'm doing this and this is how to stop and this is what to do instead and just ending that cycle. That's probably been going for generations and generations and generations. The next thing I've learned is that the law of attraction is real and it works. You know, I do full moon rituals every month where I let go but no longer serves me. I burn that shit and I do new moon rituals every month where I write and feel, you know, there's plenty about the law of attraction out there. I would recommend, like, um, Aaron Dowdy, who I mentioned earlier, to learn about it. Um, but it works. Like, it, like, dare to believe in it because it does work. And, you know, just, <laughs> I can't explain how many things, like, I'm at this point in my life where, like, I have absolutely everything I could ever want and probably will ever want besides like of course like yes I want a nice used camera for my vlogs and just things like that but genuinely there's nothing that I'm like really wanting for anymore at this point in my life at least that I'm not that I'm aware of besides 
things that I can point to and be like, okay, I only want that because society tells me that I want that. So, yeah. I've manifested amazing things, like my relationship that I'm in, like a a studio room where I can create music and art. I've manifested meeting, like, one of my favorite vocalists just by happen chance running into them. There's so many things, and I won't get into it too much. Maybe I'll do an episode all about that, but wow. (laughs) It's true. It's true. So the next thing I've learned that I obviously feel like is really important is that a vegan world is what we should all be striving for, and it would help nip the roots of evil in the bud. Like, if we wouldn't discriminate against a chicken or a fish, we wouldn't discriminate against people for having a different sexuality, a different race, or anything other like that. And if we had empathy for others and we understood consent and respect, um, we understood the bodily autonomy of others and the right to not have cruelty done onto them, then we wouldn't have, like, wars and violence and shootings and so many problems. And if we valued life over profit... Um, If we valued life over inanimate objects, and if we valued life over pleasure, life over ego, it would also solve a lot of world problems. Um, I truly believe veganism is a good example of feminine empowerment as well, and that toxic masculinity and patriarchy in this world is responsible for, you know, these, all this unnecessary violence Um, including slaughterhouses and things like that. And if we could empower the feminine and bring it back up to balance, then we could have empathy and we could value feelings and we could consider how others feel instead of just doing mindless damage all the time onto others. And again, I got ahead of myself a little bit on this point earlier, but the next thing that I've learned is that competition ruins happiness. And we must reject the idea that we have to be the best at something or have the best thing, like the best trait, for example, um, to be happy. And it just goes along with comparison is the thief of joy. And by the way, getting off social media helps you not compare yourself constantly. I don't have to feel like I'm the best singer in the world or the best singer in my social circle or in my state or whatever to enjoy singing. Like, I just have the right to sing, just like I have the right to create art and to draw. I don't feel like I have to be the best at drawing in order to feel happy about drawing. I don't have to feel like I am the prettiest girl in the world or the prettiest girl in the room in order to feel comfortable in my own skin and that my boyfriend is attracted to me. I mean, better is so subjective, but there's always going to be someone that has the better thing, whether it's a talent or a trait or a thing that they have. And so it's just a trap. And the person you're comparing yourself to is also comparing themselves to someone else. So if we could all just stop, that'd be great. (laughs) And again, I kind of mentioned some of this idea earlier, but the next thing I've learned is that people will treat you how you teach them to treat you and how you accept being treated slash think you deserve to be treated. Now, there are times and cases where 
you know, I'm not victim blaming here and we'll get to victim blaming in the next point. But like, if you're a five-year-old child, obviously you didn't teach your parents how to abuse you or, you, you know, it's not your fault for being abused because you're accepting it. You know, there's situations, but once we get to a certain age and a certain ability to like self-empower ourselves, that's when we kind of have to be like, okay, well, the way I'm treated is really dependent upon what I accept and like what I, like I teach people. If I teach people that if they say cheat on me and then I'm going to forgive them and still stay with them, then I'm teaching them that it's okay for them to cheat on me. Just so. I hope that distinction is clear. Um, <laughs> but anyway, if you've been abused growing up in any way, whether it's physically or just emotionally or mentally or any kind of way, you will be in friendships and relationships with toxic people or abusers until you intercept this with mindfulness and awareness. And like I said before, when you learn these lessons, you will no longer meet these types of people. And even if you do happen to come across them, think of it sort of like a test and you'll be able to recognize them and pick out the signs really easily and really immediately and it'll be no big deal. So victim blaming. Victim blaming is fucking trash. So victim blaming is basically like um, a woman gets raped and people say, oh, she was asking for it. Look what she was wearing. Or when, say, um, Dante Wright was just recently shot by a police officer and people are saying like, oh, well, sad, but he wouldn't have been shot if he didn't resist arrest, which first of all, like, black people are shot without resisting all the time so it's really irrelevant and they don't know what would have happened if he didn't resist but besides the point I talked about that in the last episode but that's victim blaming in a nutshell um so victim blaming is trash and we need to validate our pains and feel them fully not push them down like that's the only way to let them go otherwise they will be suppressed forever and your subconscious will be coated with beliefs based on these pains and therefore, all your actions and life choices will be as well, of course, until that is interrupted with mindfulness and awareness. I also learned what gaslighting is, and gaslighting is making people feel like they are crazy, making them doubt their own insanity. Like, for an example from my own life, if I've confronted people in my past who have abused me, they have told me, like, Oh, oh, you're you're a dumbass. Like you're playing victim. You're you're pretending to be a victim. You're not actually a victim. This these things that happened didn't actually happen to you. Um, you need mental help. When I'm just saying like, hey, remember this happened, and here's a screenshot of you saying this. Like, still when they'll be like, no, like that didn't happen. And what's wrong with you? You're crazy. That's gaslighting. That's another thing I've learned in my life. And that kind of really uh, goes hand in hand with victim blaming. Um, I've been told a lot in my life by abusers that um, I was playing victim, which I actually used to believe because it was told to me so much. I was like, oh, okay, well, I must be like bringing up that I feel this way because I want attention or something or for some other reason and these feelings must not be real and it just goes along with being taught not to trust yourself. The YouTuber Harmony Nice has probably the best video that explains gaslighting in the best way that I've ever come across so far, so check that out on YouTube. 
And why does gaslighting and victim blaming even exist? Because it's the most effective way to get victims to silence themselves or to not even realize they're being abused because that's the easiest way for the abuse to continue. But yeah, moving onward, abuse thrives on secrecy and silence. The next thing I've learned is that art, music, creativity, etc. should never be undervalued or seen as less than other professions or hobbies. If a person loves to do these things and their soul needs them to prioritize these things and set out time to consistently show up to these things. End of discussion. <laughs> the next thing I have learned is that the hardest part of anything is literally just setting up to get started and starting. Like, this applies a lot to art. Like, for me, I know once I'm sitting down and a pencil's already in my hand and I'm already shading, like, I'm set to draw for a couple of hours or who knows how long. But getting myself to actually wipe down the table, get out the paper, get out the pencils, get myself a glass of water and sit down and make that first pencil stroke is always the hardest part, of course. It's becoming less hard now that I'm less on my phone, as I said before. But yeah, you know, it, it goes for anything in life. If you have to have a difficult conversation with someone, the hardest part of that is just sitting down, taking that deep breath, and beginning that first sentence. This is another concept that is in a lot of self-help books. I know I read this book, uh, The Five Second Rule. Um, by Mel Robbins or Roberts Robbins um, and it was just all about like this whole concept of the hardest part of anything is just starting like you know yeah <laughs> the next thing I've learned is that time is precious and therefore time and being fully present should be prioritized over work money and dumb shit like Facebook comment wars um, and as technology increases, we must increase our boundaries with it and live life off of our phones as much as possible, as I've already said a couple of times. But, like, really, time is so precious. And I'm 25 now, and the older I get, the faster the years go. And the more I realize that time is... Time and being present is really all we have. It's all that is important. Um, same with human connection. It should be a priority. We must learn to be present while making love, not thinking of other things. We must learn to be present with ourselves, to look people in the eye, and to give undivided attention to our connections. Really to give undivided attention to everything we do as much as possible. Like, there's a difference between doing something and then there's background noise, but sometimes, like, it's better not to have any background noise. Again, never be afraid to let people go or cut people off who continually hurt and disrespect you. You don't have to take people's shit. Like, you don't have to, no matter who it's coming from, whether it's a stranger in a comment section who's just verbally abusing you or attacking you in a bullying manner. You know, there's a difference between that and constructive criticism. Um, you just don't have to take shit, so don't take shit. And I will never say to soup to anyone's level. I'm very against name calling. I'm very against bullying and all of that stuff. And sometimes you just got to walk away and be like, I hope that person finds peace because 
happy people don't do that shit. The next thing I've learned is that whenever you're too afraid to go after your dreams or do something that takes courage, just picture your 90-year-old self and whether you want that self to regret not going after your dreams or if you want that self to feel satisfied that you did. And I don't mean like dreams of like uh, trying to be famous or something necessarily unless like that's really something that you genuinely want, but a dream could just be like leaving a bad relationship and and getting in a good relationship like things can be simple like we can also learn to be content with like lives that are normal it doesn't have to be like you can only be satisfied at age 90 if you were like the best thing in the world at some activity another really helpful thing i learned in my life is this concept in alderian psychology called The Separation of Tasks that I learned from the books, uh, The Courage to be Disliked and The Courage to be Happy. And it's basically just, you know, you can only control the things you control and, and you can't control what people think about you and you can't control what other people do. So you need to just separate those and realize that those things are not your tasks. Um, your tasks are what you can do and what you can control. For example, it is not my task that some dude is not going vegan immediately after interacting with me about veganism, um, but it is my task to keep telling the truth and keep going with my activism. The next thing I learned is that our worth is never defined by our physical appearance or any trait like that. It's not defined by anything really because we are worthy simply for living, simply for existing. All humans are equal and animals are equal to humans when it comes to their right to be free from cruelty and they are the same as us in all the ways that matter, like feeling pain and wanting to live and things like that, wanting to be free. Literally no one is any more special or valuable than anyone else. As Ralph Smart, the YouTuber Infinite Waters, who's also a psychologist, says there are no important people, just people. Like, ideally, we should be able to approach and talk to our most famous idol. Like, for me, like, one of my most famous people that I have always looked to for inspiration is Kurt Cobain. And I, if he was alive, I should be able to go have a conversation with him just as easily as I would have a conversation with someone I'm friends with or a stranger I don't know. Which also bleeds into the thing I learned about stop putting people on a pedestal. Don't put people on a pedestal. I've really come to learn that rejecting consumerism and realizing that companies just want to profit off of your insecurity and inferiority that realization is going to set you free to find true, genuine fulfillment. The next thing I learn is that we always tend to think that we are alone in our struggles. Like, when we're going some through something, we feel like and even think that we're the only ones who are going through it and no one else can understand. And that's just completely not true. That is never true. You might not know anyone in person, but you can find someone over the internet who's going through like almost the exact same situation as you and who can relate to you and who can truly understand. And we all struggle 
together. Nobody is alone. Like, this whole notion that we're alone is an illusion. And I've also learned that this idea that we can be alone and not ever depend on anyone in any way and just be kind of a hermit. I mean, technically that's not impossible, but I don't think that is how humans are genuinely meant to live and that's not how we can thrive and be our most, you know, live to the fullest. And this is coming from someone who's really introverted and who really spends most of their time alone. The next thing I learned is that sometimes the brave thing to do is quit or to not do what everyone else thinks is the brave thing. For example, if you're sitting at some sort of get-together and people are like, come on, get up and do karaoke, the (laughs) thing that we're probably all going to think, at least at first, is the brave thing to do is to go up and push away our fears and feel the fear and do it anyway and go and do the karaoke. But sometimes you're just sitting there like, well, I haven't warmed up my voice. And I know this is clearly a personal (laughs) example here. Well, I haven't warmed up my voice. And I know that from my past experiences, when I have, like, let the peer pressure get to me, I've gone up and then I've been really nervous and and uncomfortable. And then I've sounded bad and then it's really affected my confidence with singing. And then I stopped singing for a while after that. And sometimes a brave thing to do is be like, nah, like, everyone can go ahead and think I'm a wimp. But no, I'm not going to do karaoke right now. Um maybe another time when I actually want to, the thank you so much. Like, sometimes that is the brave thing to do, is to, like, go inward and be like, well, what do I want to do? And not listen to everyone outside of yourself. The next thing I have written for what I have learned is literally just um, working a nine-to-five is overrated. You know, like, these stable, secure office jobs and stuff. For some people, that's great don't know how that's possible because I'm just such a like not that kind of person but for me it's overrated and when I think about like floating on this rock in outer space and all the stars in the sky and I think about this precious life and this precious time and then I think about like wasting it sitting at an office working for a corporation that's probably not even ethical doing something I hate I just like I would literally rather live under a bridge or in a cardboard box then and and be able to have freedom and do what I love than to have that kind of nine to five nonsense. <laughs> the next thing I've learned, which is also from Ralph Smart slash Infinite Waters, is that we are all in a hurry to get nowhere fast um, and we should remember that we are human beings, not human doings. Life is not about productivity and constantly working and all that shit. I've learned that quality and focused work and consistency is good, especially when you're doing something you're passionate about. But hustle culture blows balls. That's literally what I wrote here. Hustle culture blows balls. Like, that's dumb. That hustle culture just leads to people being, like I said before, overworked, overtired, overstressed, and unhappy. And a lot of it's just busy work and a lot of it's nonsense. And a lot of it's just internalized capitalism that makes us feel guilty. Like, we can't even take a nap or have a rest or have a day off because we need to constantly be doing something. 
and we need to prove ourselves and we need to make sure people don't think we're lazy and stuff like that and that's just silly we have to sleep we have to recharge we have to play we have to have leisure we have to say no sometimes to the demands on your time and energy from others before I move on to the next thing, I don't know if this is just like my ADHD brain here, but I just thought about something else to add to like a point I made like what, 15 minutes ago? I don't know how long ago, but about thoughts being like our dreams. Um, and and that, that example is this, just to be vulnerable here for a second, I have had suicidal ideation before, which is basically like thoughts of like, self-harm, well, like, I'll just be sitting, like, and I'll get this movie of myself harming myself, right? And then, then I'll be like, holy shit, like, why did I just have that thought? I don't have any desire to actually do any kind of, like, physical self-harm. Like, I'm, should I be worried about myself? Should I, like, talk to a professional? And then what I kind of realize and come to conclude is that, like, if I had a dream about harming myself in that way, I wouldn't wake up and be like, oh my god, am I gonna actually do that, right? I would just be like, oh, that's probably a metaphor. So that's kind of what I do with thoughts is like, oh, okay, this is clearly like, you know, because I don't have, it's it's only at the level of ideation and it never has gone beyond that for me. I've never like actually physically self-harmed myself and I don't plan on it and I don't want to and I know that for a fact, like my inner knowing knows that. So I can look at this and be like, okay, well, when did this thought, this little mental movie come up? Oh, this came up in a really difficult situation where I was fighting with someone I love. So I can see that that is, that, like, is just a metaphor for really wanting to leave this, like, situation that's difficult and to, like, leave this pain. And then I can be like, okay, well, leaving this pain and leaving situations just like with suicide it's never the answer and is a temporary or I'm sorry a permanent solution to a temporary problem maybe like this is also like leaving this situation and trying to whatever is also a um you know a permanent solution to a temporary problem and maybe I should just allow myself to feel the discomfort and be present and face what is going on right now. So I'm sorry if that was triggering or a bit much, but I just, I don't know. I felt, I feel like it's helpful to have examples and metaphors like that. But anyway, holy shit. <laughs> Let's move onward. I still think if you have any kind of suicidal ideation, you should still talk to someone. And I, I have talked to my therapist about this, so disclaimer. <laughs> anyway, the next thing I've learned, and I am a two-time dropout of college, so take this or leave it, but I believe college degrees are truly dumb unless you have a very specific passion and drive to get a job that requires a degree, like a doctor <laughs> or some shit. Um, many other people literally just get college degrees because they're following expectations, or they've been told, like I have in my, <laughs> like, high school, and stuff that I'm a piece of shit if I don't go to college um and that you know I'm worthless if I don't go to college basically is the underlying message um or they're just coming to pressure or honestly like 
how many people are really just going to college to just have a title next to their name to feel good about themselves and they don't even really care about what they're studying or even like when I was in college a second time like my mom wanted me to try it again I didn't even want to try it again but I was like shit like my mom's letting me live with her I better like try it which is fine nothing wrong with her encouraging me to try again I could have like listened to my inner voice and known that I didn't want to. But anyway, I tried college again for a year. And when I completed that year, I was like, God, I don't want to continue. Like, this sucks almost, almost, not quite as much as the first time I tried college. And like, I don't like this. I don't want it. Like, this is not how I want to spend my time. And I don't want to further myself into debt, right? So I just got really honest with myself. And I'm like, okay, if I stick through this and get the degree, what is my motivation for doing so? And the only like real true honest answer that I could come up with was being able to post a picture on social media of myself like holding a degree in a graduation cap and like getting validation from others and feeling like self-esteem, which again should just do self-compassion, not self-esteem. Um, and then I was like, wow, is that really the only reason? Okay, then that's not worth it. I'm quitting. And it helped me make that decision. Never do stuff to just prove things to others. Like, unless, of course, like, you also happen to really genuinely, like, your inner knowing wants to do those things. And, of course, like, if you happen to prove others wrong in the process, then cool. But, like, I have, like, you know even just going to college was partly to prove my capability to others because a lot of people deemed me as incapable and I ended up doing well and getting good grades and stuff so I was capable but like did proving it make me happy or really even make any of these people be nicer to me absolutely not so I've just really learned that we it's kind of a waste of time and energy and can get you on a wrong path if you do things and make life decisions based on proving yourself to others, which also is kind of like um, being a rebel sometimes is actually, and I learned this from the book Untamed that I read a passage from earlier, but being a rebel is still being controlled by like the expectations of others and still living your life based on your reaction to the expectations of others. So that's an interesting thing to think about as well. Like instead of following expectations or rebelling against them to just go against expectations, why don't you just do what's true to you? <coughs> oh my god, I have COVID! <laughs> I don't have COVID. Um, my voice is just getting dry because we're nearing the end here. So a huge thing I've learned with regard to art, creativity, and life and relationships and everything is to be process-oriented, not results-oriented, which also ties in with don't do things solely for performative reasons or to impress others, which also ties into doing things to prove yourself. Um, you can, like, for an example, the first time I went to college, I went to college for fucking equine science because I used to ride horses. And this was never really truly my passion. This was my cousin's passion. But I wanted to prove myself to her and to my family and to whatever that, like, I was capable of doing horse stuff. 
and it wasn't even really truly my passion. I was just a lost soul. You know, I've, I've talked about this, so I won't get much into it, but yeah, don't do things to impress others. Like when I first started doing like singing and playing guitar, my goals were like to do it solely to post a video on Instagram to impress like musicians that I knew that I was trying to be friends with and trying to like, you know, get validation from. And then I quit because it was no longer enjoyable and I hated it and it never felt good enough. And then I just realized like, why can't I just enjoy the process of learning guitar and the process of improving my voice and actually enjoy the singing and instead of being worrying about getting a perfect video of it like you know what I mean it is a really sad thing to be constantly trying to impress others and constantly trying to live for that external validation and just looking up at people you put on a pedestal like validate me please I'm good at this right I'm good enough right no that's got to stop Again, because of the patriarchy, we don't honor our feelings, our emotions, or our intuition nearly enough. I think I've explained this enough, so I'll just move on. The next thing I've learned is that if-then happiness is a trap. If I have this thing, then I will be happy. If I get this relationship, then I will be happy. If I achieve this thing, then I will be happy. If you have any kind of if-then thoughts for being happy no matter absolutely what it is all you're gonna do when you attain that thing is replace it with something else and then once you get there like say you get the relationship you'll be like okay I have the relationship but now but now if I get this house then I will be happy and you're just putting off happiness and it's just like no make the choice to be happy now and when I say happy I don't mean fucking toxic positivity smiling all the time at everything I just mean an overall life that you are proud of living and a self that you are proud of being that's true and the next thing I learned is that you have to fill up your own cup first um overgiving only injects poison into the relationship and leads to resentment and you know we can't pour from an empty cup put yourself first pay yourself first love yourself first all that shit and that's all I have on the list right now. And that's basically like all of my deepest values, at least so far at this time that I'm 25 years old, that I'm constantly going to be improving and editing and building upon. But I feel like a lot of these things I've talked about are life-changing. They have been for me and I think that they would make the world a, a lot better of a place. And some of them are just more of my own opinions, but a lot of them like veganism and not harming others and things like that I think we we really should all be adhering to that so that's it if you are not vegan yet listen to the TEDx talk every argument against veganism by Earthling Ed watch Earthling Ed on YouTube like I said before watch Dominion and Earthlings the Stop the Violence podcast is available on Apple, Spotify, and Anchor, as well as my YouTube channel, Alicia Demi. That's A-L-I-S-I-A space D-E-M-I. And on that YouTube channel, I also make weekly videos where I share um, more of this lifestyle shit. And I share a lot and show a lot of my drawings and art and music and activism and really cool shit that is actually worthwhile to watch you would find if you just gave it a chance 
I didn't have an episode of the Stop the Violence podcast last week because it, my birthday had passed and I just was a bit overwhelmed and I needed a break. Um, so thank you for being patient with that. I currently have a video up of our latest grocery store disruption, so check that out or share it or whatever. Um, this Saturday, we are doing a Chick-fil-A drive through protest. We're going to be bringing the TV screens, the signs, and I'll, I'll video some of that, of course, so stay tuned for that. I've got lots of good Stop the Violence podcast episodes coming up. If you do choose to be on social media, I do have an account called Stop the Violence podcast that just has episode reminders and previews that I will, you know, I get on quick and post them and get off. Um, that you can follow, but follow wherever you are listening and definitely stay tuned. I'm gonna start having guests on here um, to talk about veganism and other things, and I have a lot of really good ideas for this podcast, and I know you won't regret sticking around, so yeah. Anyway, peace out.